Fade in. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Heard my back surfing. Everything was beautiful. The waves, the weather, Malibu. A handful of people were in the ocean. I was popping up, doing just fine. Rode at least four to five waves when a trickle of doubt came in my mind and I fell. The rocky ocean floor nicked the side of my lower back. I either pinched a nerve or something, but it hurts. And though I'm resting, providing the soreness with heat, and taking a massive amounts of drugs, where do I go to find solace? The Shawarma Palace. Yes, you guys, this is Restaurant Fiction, the podcast and media program reviewing fictional restaurants, bars, and clubs in TV and film. For those of you unaware, the Shawarma Palace is featured at the end of the first Avengers film. Though we have dined and reviewed the Shawarma Palace, we don't know much about it or the Marvel Cinematic Universe, so we brought along Christopher Lee, the co-host of the very popular podcast, The Nerdlies. The Nerdlies, this is a podcast that talks to creative people about their passions, pursuits, and in general chats about nerdy things, and what can be nerdier than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Without any further ado, here is our review of the Shawarma Palace, though I say Shawarma Place in the review, and our incredible chat with Chris. Go. So guys, gals, children, aliens of everywhere, um, you know, me being a former chef, one of the questions that is a game that I like to ask uh, fellow chefs, fellow cooks, even anybody, is what your last meal is going to be. And that's a good question. Nothing wrong with that. But a better question would be, what would be your first meal when the world is almost destroyed? And that can be in a fictitious world or, you know, we are not a political podcast in any way, but some might feel that the world was almost destroyed, whether it be uh, in the political spectrum or in the um, disease spectrum, in the pandemic. And the answer is simple. It is one universal answer, and it is the Shawarma Palace. That's right, because you see, no matter if there is war, famine, plague, disease, um, political upheaval of totalitarian governments, if you will, the Shawarma Place will always exist. And what is the Shawarma Place? Well, it is in Midtown Manhattan. It is a big city joint. It is Mediterranean and it is fast food. And they do one thing. Well, they do a few things, but they do one thing and that is the Shawarma. Now, what is a Shawarma? Well, it is obviously a Middle Eastern sandwich. It is, uh, to describe it well to you, it is extremely well done meat flavored with cinnamon, and clove sliced on a rotating spit, kind of like Al Pastor, the street taco uh, pork meat that you get in Los Angeles. And it's fantastic. There's a, a bunch of garlic. It reeks on your clothes. It reeks out for miles and miles and miles. The shawarma place is no frills. What I mean, you know, there's also for the vegetarians out there, they also make a mean falafel. Their garbanzo beans are just fried to perfection. That uh, al dente bite, if you will, uh, with those pickled turnips and cabbage, it's very fresh tasting. Now, 
what I really like about the shawarma palace more than other Mediterranean joints in Midtown Manhattan or elsewhere is that they let you pick the sauce, kind of like uh, how many places have ketchup and mustard on the table. Well, they have the tzatziki, they have the tahini, they have their own sesame uh, paste blend. And of course, they have the old standbys, the baba ganoush, the uh, kofta, which is like a spiced lamb sausage, the rotisserie chicken, sour grapes. And, but you know something, when push comes to shawarma, how is the shawarma at shawarma palace? Well, it's really just okay. And still, just like pizza and just like sex, even lousy shawarma can be pretty good and hit the right spot. Actually, all the spots. And especially after the world has almost ended. All right, Chris, that was our review of the Shawarma Palace from Avengers. Uh, what is your review? What is your take? Uh, what would you like to say and add? I'll say I, I agree with you on mo uh, most of those points. I think Shawarma places are uh, almost, I, I, I feel like this might be a bad word for it, but they're almost a utilitarian in a way where you you use them to bring you a comfort they have a there's ranges of how good certain places are but every single place has something unique to them the garlic sauce might be different the shawarma might be seasoned or the euros might be seasoned a little bit different chili chicken might be seasoned differently uh it's a comfort food so after a long day of fighting the shatari and uh and defending New York City and albeit the world and universe, I think you would want to sit down uh, at the end of a hard day with some shawarma on a plate or in a sandwich uh, at Shawarma Palace. So I, I think you're right. What are uh, some of the best shawarma experiences you've had? Oh, man. Well, you know, I... I uh... I, I, it's hard to say, but like, I think my, one of my favorite places that I literally just ate there minutes before we started, started because I wanted to kind of like also have the authenticity of just eating it just now. Uh, I went to Halal Guys and got some food, uh, just recently. And that is a very, obviously a corporate-ish franchise place. It started in New York, I think, and then it's franchised out here in Los Angeles now. Um, but then there are also, I, some of my favorites are just local places. There's places that just have kebabs and, and in addition to euros and shaved meats and all that type of stuff, like there's, there's just a bunch of really cool local places. And then LA has Zanku Chicken, which is an incredible Mediterranean restaurant and shawarma, a shawarma place. So, uh, there's a lot to be had in that, in that, uh, in that regard. What matters most to you about, uh, the shawarma palace uh it matters to me i mean in, in regards to like the avengers uh, in regards to the avengers i think it's a it's a fun it's a comforting way for the team to end up at the end of the movie and it's a comforting place and it's a place that they can kind of relax and even like just with like you what you said these places will exist uh, continue existing even through any acts of malice or disease and all that stuff. There are certain places that are just going to be there. And a place like Shorman Palace is a perfect place to be like, okay, this is just going to be here no matter what happens. It's a local to that area place that people can go sit down, grab a bite to eat and just relax. Um, it's a better choice in my eyes than like a corporate 
establishment or something like that. They can could have easily just been like, hey, we're going to go to the Applebee's in Times Square because somehow that is going to survive uh, an alien attack. But it was this place. So that's what it means to me. It means that these local home play, homegrown places uh, continue to survive even after these crat- catastrophic Marvel events. And what does the Shawarma Palace say about the characters? And what I mean by that, like, for example, I mean, for, uh, yes, there might be people in a cave, but when they're introduced to Iron Man, he is a, uh, he's a billionaire who drives $100,000 cars, but yet even a billionaire wants an $8 sandwich at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day. Yeah, I think that's, that's exactly what it is. It keeps the whole universe kind of grounded. Um, and I think that's part of why, personally, I was always more drawn to Marvel than DC, because all of the superheroes and events all happen around Earth. And it's not a it's not an allegory for Earth or it's not a nickname for certain cities. All these things are happening in New York City, Los Angeles, Santa Fe, all, all these places that go throughout North America or in the United States in those areas. It's all based on real places. So I think being able to be grounded in that way and know that these these guys who are larger than life in all aspects, uh, Iron Man is obviously in a, in a place of wealth that can't be touched. Uh, Captain America has a, a sense of honor that can't be touched. Thor is an Asgardian. Hulk is a an insanely strong, strong entity. Black Widow is an assassin that has no, no match. Uh, Hawkeye is a marksman. Like these guys still can enjoy a meal at a real place in a real location. So I think that's, uh, I think that's part of it. What makes or breaks a Marvel slash Disney film for you? To me, it's a a combination and and it depends on character, right? It's a combination of, of uh, realism versus comedy. I think that there are movies that have tipped the balance more towards comedy that don't, pay attention to the realism of the character versus there are movies that take an aspect of the really deep side of that character and brings that out, but finds the humor in the situations. I I always delve more into the reality of the character and then the humor in the situation rather than forcing out comedy in situations that need levity, I guess, because things need to breathe. So that's that's my biggest thing is when is when a movie kind of tips over to that scale, it's a little bit more like, oh, they wrote this joke. Like this didn't this doesn't feel like it came from the character's heart. It just seems like, okay, they're in a writer's room. This was funny to them that that came out of that character's mouth because there there have been pitch meetings for this joke. <laughs> so that kind of gets me gets me a little bit with with Marvel. So when it goes into more something a little bit more realistic. The jokes seem natural. It comes from a character that you know has that history of making those connections and having that timing. That uh, that works really well. And it also always, if, if it examines that character's either biases, um, backstory, uh, brings out a new facet that you haven't seen or addresses a facet that you didn't think about before, I think that's, that's a great mark of a Marvel movie, which I think they've been su- successful at a lot of the time. Say I'm, uh, I believe uh, I, I, I'm going to mispronounce his name. I'm Kevin Feige, Feige, I, I believe. Maybe I believe it's Feige. Feige, okay. I'm 
I'm Kevin Feige, uh, one of the creative head honchos of MCU and all Marvel. Um, and I'm saying, and I'm almost inventing a new super, and I'm saying to you, Chris, I'm like, I, I need to form a movie um, on you. You need to pick, you need to pick a superhero name, a superhero power, and what you're eating as a superhero. Uh, you, what are those? What are those answers? Oh, man, for me. Okay. I don't know that I... I, Okay, so this is not going to be the most... I guess it's not going to be the most PC answer because this is a nickname that I've gone through or gone with for years. And the people have joked about it. John Mulaney had a famous joke that is is one of the laziest, uh, if you could call it a slur, against Asian people that I could... uh, You could ever... Use because I, I I use the nickname Chinaman for everything. That's that's what I've been using for a long time. I did a radio class when I was a in high school, and I used it there. I'm surprised my teacher let me use it for for the two years that I was in that class. But it it literally means like to me. I know it probably hurts. It depends on who's using it and how the context is. To me, when I use it, I'm using it because that is my heritage. I'm from my. My parents, like my lineage, goes back to China. So, Chinaman is something that I use. I would, I would think that I would go with that. Not that that is the greatest name, but that's just how what I would be <laughs> most not comfortable, but most like related to because that's my my nickname. But I will say, I don't know, I don't know what powers I would want. I think I, I would love to be. Man, I've thought about this a lot because there's a lot of different powers, right? There's all kinds of things. I, my favorite. And this is not going to be Marvel, but it's a DC character. I always loved the the fact that Green Lantern could create things out of his imagination through the power of the ring or whatever it was. So I think that would be the power that I would want. Not that I would have to be tied to the ring, the Green Lantern ring or the oath and all this stuff. I just want to be able to create things with my mind. So I think that's that's probably the power I would go with. Food-wise... Man, it would be a tie between I, I love street tacos, so that's like my like my, my jam. Um, and then you know, like I said, dim sum would be a thing too. I would just be eating a bunch of bao buns, like carry that stuff around all the time. But I think those are two very portable things for superheroes to have. From your Instagram, uh, the Nerdly's Instagram, uh, it seems that your wife is a professional at cosplay. Like, uh, I mean, it her. I mean, for those that are not on the Nerdly's Instagram, you need to check it out. And I'm sure uh, Chris will tell us all, but they are some of the best uh, photos we've ever seen. Um, what are some tips to have to um, for a successful cosplay outfit, for a successful cosplay career? Just what do you look yeah. for? What? Yeah, tell me about that. So uh, I would say, you know, for a cosplayer, if you, if you want to cosplay, I... Personally, the only things I look for in a uh, like a fun cosplayer is the passion you have for the character and the things that you felt were important for that character, I guess, is what I, I would want to say. Because there's a range of people who have different skills in, in cosplay. Some people are better at seamstresses. Some people build props. Some people are passionate about the character, but they don't have those skills, so they buy their own cosplay. So or buy their cosplay from other builders, which is all totally fine. And some people also have store-bought stuff that they just either adjust or they they wear the store-bought stuff. So it's, I, I always feel like cosplaying just in general is more about your attitude towards it. I I don't, 
I, I understand that there's an industry of people who are completely professional cosplayers, right? They they make it, make these costumes, they're sponsored by companies, and that's great. That's great that you're, they're able to do that. I will say everybody should be able to do it, should be able to cosplay in a way that they feel comfortable in that. So I always just look for the enthusiasm and the authenticity of how they like that character. So that that's my main important thing. Excellent. Yeah. What is the... What's one of the craziest um, in all of your con experiences? Um, yeah. What's the craziest cosplay costume you've ever seen? Well, I will say uh, the craziest, I mean, Dragon Con, I think, within the cosplay community, and if people don't know about it, Dragon Con happens in Atlanta. It obviously didn't happen this year, but um, my wife went for the first time last year. I didn't get to go. I was here doing Long Beach Comic Expo. I didn't get enough days off so that I could go with her to Atlanta. But she sent me a picture and it is one of the most insane costumes I've ever seen. It is the alien, I can't remember what they're called, from uh, Fifth Element. The gigantic, robotic-looking aliens. Basically, the ancient aliens from the beginning of the movie, and then they had kind of blown up in the middle of the movie. Those, that entire uh, costume. Somebody had made one of those that was fully functioning, and he could walk around in it and all that stuff. That's the most insane costume I've ever seen. That yeah, that one is is probably up on the top. That and also there was a was, there was a guy that we were following that came to San Diego Comic Con. He built it fully articulate, uh, not fully articulated, but as tar- articulated as it could be, uh, a rancor from Star Wars that uh, he built from foam and latex and all that stuff that he wore at SDCC. So those are the two my my top two insane <laughs> costumes I've seen. I have a new question. It's, good. it's an easy, fun one. All right. Of all the uh, characters, superheroes in the MCU, which one would you like to have a bear with and why? Easy. Easy. Deadpool. I think Deadpool has the most would be the most fun conversationally. Uh, Deadpool would be, you know, he, he seems to get, not get along with everybody, but he has a personality that is uh, very, <laughs> very uh, ex- what is it? Extrovert. So it'd be fun to go sit down, chit chat with him, see, listen to his experiences, get to he'll he'll rib you a little bit, which will be fun. Deadpool's been one of my fan favorites all of all time, so uh, I I would I would pick Deadpool for sure. And what kind of beer are you drinking with Deadpool? Oh, it's got to be a Molson, right? It's got to be a Canadian beer. Uh, <laughs> I don't drink, but I would I would have one with him for I- sure. Excellent. Awesome. <laughs> right, so moving on just to random. Um, what and this can be um, it does not have to be an MCU film or a Disney film. But okay. What what film is it that you love and everyone else hates? Oh, you know what? It would be. Uh, and I think it's it's come up a little bit more in regard over the last couple of years. But Speed Racer from the Wachowskis. Speed Racer is one of the most fun films I watched in a theater. Uh, it is visually captivating. I don't know what people expected when they said, some people said that there's going to be a live action speed racer. It's exactly as campy as the old cartoon was. I felt, I feel like it pushed the boundaries of what like they could do visually at the time. And there's some fun actors in it. Emil Hirsch is in it. Christina Ricci, John Goodman. Um, 
yeah, Matthew Fox. Like, there's there's a great cast. Uh, what is it? I can't remember. Susan Sarandon's in it. Like, there's there's great a great cast. It's a fun fun movie to watch. I I encourage everyone to go back with an open mind. Go watch Speed Racer if you haven't already, and and check that one out. Excellent. Well, what about the opposite? What is a film that you hate and everyone else around you that you know of loves? This is actually very easy because I am one of the few uh, that I just do not like Thor Ragnarok. That is, a, that is I mean, I, like I said before, I love Marvel movies. I still think Mar- uh, Thor Ragnarok is a fun movie to watch. As a movie itself and as a critic, I do not like, I just thought that they did um, that thing that I don't like, which is that the jokes were forced. They were written in a writer's room. They're things that, didn't come from the heart of the character. It came off the page, right? Like, it's like, oh, act funny at this point. That's how I felt throughout Thor Ragnarok, and I did not enjoy that movie. So that would be the only one. That's my, like, big, <laughs> my big stake is, like, I just did it. I couldn't get get it. And, you know, I, I wanted better out of that movie, and it, it just didn't deliver for me. You, uh, your podcast, uh, The Nerdlies, you talk about... Um talk about Marvel, Disney, you talk about toys. You talk, in a way, you talk about the creative process. You talk to creative individuals uh-huh. such as yourself. Am I, am I correct, Chris? Yes, yeah. Um, so for you personally, how do you keep consistently creative and not plateau? Well, that's a tough question, especially with, uh, uh, with everything that's going on now. Um, trying to keep that motivation up and keep the keep the faith that you're doing something that people enjoy. And I think that the the thing that I'm always harping on is authenticity, right? When people ask me what they want, uh, whether they want to start a podcast and all that type of stuff, I say basically don't do this because you feel like you uh, have to do it to make a income or like make a thing it do it because you love it and because you want to do it I, I think there's a big difference between creators that are authentically um creating something that they love and molding it with something that's within their personality already i think that 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 drives you right so uh, for me it's also always looking in and being like okay am i doing this because i think it's popular and i think that i'll get views out of it then, but is is it something, or is it something that I actually care about and want to bring a different side of it out for people because it's something that I'm passionate about? Um, that's how I find the creativity um, because there are obviously there's a ton of you know it's just with social media and everything there's a bunch of um, trends to hop on there's a bunch of different things that you know it, that makes you feel like okay I need to create this way I need to make something in this vein but if it doesn't fit in with how you are as a person it's going to come off as it's not you as a person so I I always look at that and and look at things that I'm interested in at the time or things that I've always wanted to do and haven't had the opportunity to, that's what I want to be doing. That's where, where I come from, from a creative standpoint, when I want to approach a project or, or do a video or even, you know, do gaming. I do Twitch gaming and stuff like that. I want to play games that I'm intrigued by, not just games that people are popular, popularizing. 
yeah, I think that's that's where I I drive my creativity. And within yourself, like, how fulfilled do you feel making that thing? Because that's going to be the thing that kind of brings you. I think you have to have the skill to do it and the and and the want to do it. But it, will it actually bring you something like that fulfillment feeling? I think that helps you drive to the end of end result of what you do. So I, that's how I look at my creative process. Thank you, Chris. And just a reminder to listen and watch all of the amazing things on The Nerdlies. Go to thenerdlies.com. That is spelled T-H-E-N-E-R-D-L-Y-S.com. They are on YouTube, Instagram, Spotify, Twitter, etc., etc. It's all there at thenerdlies.com. You'll quickly learn why restaurant fiction when we have a question relating to Marvel, video games, toys, pop culture, Disney, we tune into them. As for us at Restaurant Fiction, just do us a favor and listen to the Nerdly's podcast. We can't say that enough. That's it. That's all we ask. I'm Monis Rose, and as always, keep it real, keep it fresh, and keep it on the flip side. Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night.